Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. As always, I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you for joining me for the 57th episode of the show. And to this week, banish another somehow willing guest off to a brand new deserted island. This week, we are plucking another guest from the pool of gaming YouTubers. Joining me is a lovely guest who has worked across many different gaming channels, as well as running his own. Working in collaboration with the creators over at That One Video Gamer and other top YouTubers, my guest has helped to edit shows such as the Pokemon show The Dex and host The Dex Podcast. He's also currently editing for Nintendo YouTuber Jay Witz and also freelancing as an editor for many others. He was also one of the hosts of the excellent but now sadly ended TOBG podcast alongside former Final Games guest George Super Bunnyhop. But he also runs his own gaming channel called Sunder, a channel devoted to looking in-depth into the more nitty-gritty of video game design and analysis. His excellent show Levelhead is a personal favourite of mine. And although this is a radio show, you would certainly recognise my guest anywhere out there on the internet because of his incredible hair. I'm very happy to say that joining me this week is someone I really enjoy chatting to about video games, my lovely friend, Jimmy Sunder, aka Sunder. Hello, Jimmy. Hi. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm doing great after that incredibly flattering introduction. Oh, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad that we nailed it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, we were a little late starting because you were having a nice nap beforehand. Not not exactly nice. <laughs> it was unexpected, but you know, it, it happens every now and then. One of those mid-afternoon nap kind of things. Yeah. Um, how is how's everything going? It seems it seems like every time I talk to you, you're working hard and you've got a lot of cool things going on. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much the long and short of any answer I could give. Um, as an editor for a lot of different people, it's constantly checking my various inboxes and social medias to see uh, where my clients are at and stuff. So that's always on my mind. Um, my channel, of course, I have a Patreon supported YouTube channel. So I'm always trying to, in between that stuff, get another script and another video out and polished up and not uh, not rushed. And <laughs> I'm sure it shows my upload schedule is not super great, but I try to put the, put the love into it to make sure uh, I don't just rush out something that's just for the sake of it, you know? Yeah, it must be difficult as someone who, who does freelancing for, you know, like incredibly popular YouTubers and also being a part of shows like The Dex that have these huge fan bases, but then also trying to prioritize which is more important to you personally, like your own stuff that you probably take great pleasure in as a creator and making stuff like Levelhead. And then also having to prioritize doing the freelance work as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I at the at the size that my personal channel is at, I I get enough games in my inbox, like Steam codes and stuff, um, just sent to me to feel uncomfortable about using any of them because I feel like well they're probably expecting coverage, but I don't put so much coverage on my channel, so should I? I do I even feel right taking the Steam code? But like. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's it's funny you say that, actually, because considering the nature that is Final Games, and I'm very lucky in the past few years, Final Games has grown immensely in popularity to what I could have expected. Um, mm. But even I receive Steam codes in my inbox mm -hmm. and review codes and review copies for stuff. And it is a little weird for me because due to the way the show is 
played out and portrayed, I can't exactly give any coverage or anything. Right, I don't know how right. what they could expect from the way Final Games works to ever be able to talk about <laughs> these types of games. So yeah. I can kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and then there's also the constant... Uh, you're right, it is very hard to prioritize like what needs to get done, especially because I'm a... I'm a very big proponent of not uh, I not romanticizing the like starving overworked artist as like the best way to live your life. Like I don't like when I I guess I'm like when you, whenever you see those posts that are all like uh, you know like make sure you take the time to to you know sit down and rest, take a break, stretch your arms, go for a walk, drink some water, like personal care stuff i'm a really big proponent of those kind of things because you really get unhappy quickly if you're just noses to the grindstone all the time even if you're putting out cool stuff even if i had time to do everything i wanted to if i wasn't taking personal time i would become a wreck so that's another like another ball in the pile of, of juggling balls to like factor in that I, I think that's really important. So I, I yeah, it's, it's it's tough, but it's fun. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think when you start out doing anything like this, it's exciting, and you can see the immediate feedback of mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. YouTube and also podcasting and that kind of thing. Is you get that immediate feedback, and you sort of feed off that energy of other people, and then as it goes along, it becomes a normality almost. And, you know, a lot of it, it can be negative because of the way the internet works. And that's just unfortunately how it goes, um, which can be a little difficult to then inspire yourself to do it after the sort of honeymoon period of it all being creative and inspiring. And then it becomes a lifestyle that you have to deal with. And Mm -hmm. in the long run, you don't want to be burning yourself out a lot for something that has to be sustainable for your existence as well. Yeah. So yeah, you, it's... you can't be burning yourself out after one or two years if you want to be making a living out of it for the, you know, the next 10 years, if you're lucky to do so. So it is one of those where it's hard to balance that after the initial excitement goes away, I think. Oh, yeah. And especially um, just my line of work sort of just came from skill set. Like I was able to edit for so many people because I had done editing for a couple years with the decks and TOEG uh, and my own channel. Yeah. And burnout is a big factor when your primary source of income is making videos for other people. And then it comes to the point where it's like, well, now I have some free time. Guess I'll do the same thing that I do for work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for myself. Like, yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a weird and wild world and I'm still trying to figure out how to get it all lined up, but Going well so far. Yeah, it seems to be doing well. I see, before we even met and spoke and that kind of thing, I knew who you Mm. were because of you were sort of this ever-present face. And as I said, your incredible hair stands out in the memories (laughs) of a lot of people as someone who has kind of crazy hair myself. I I feel kindred spirits across (laughs) across the water with you um, yeah but you are you have been this sort of ever-present face in the sort of gaming communities of places like the completionist and the decks and jay wits and even like the game grump space and that kind of because they're all sort of a very similar fan base of people yeah um, yeah but i think 
it's interesting. Like, how did you get into... I don't hear too much about people who are editors for other people. Like, it seems like a lot of people make their own videos and then hire, then they start out editing and then they hire yeah. editors in-house to do stuff like that. But you it, seem to be like this mix of a host and also someone who likes editing for other people. How, how did that sort of come about? Oh, man. It's like, okay, so TLDR version, like the quick version... Um, Back in 2011, I want to say. I always forget if it was 11 or 12. Pretty sure it was 2011. Um, back before SourceFed was a thing. I don't know if you know YouTuber Philip DeFranco. Yes. Uh, news YouTuber. He uh, put out a call on Twitter. This is like literally weeks after I got Twitter for the first time. He put out a call on Twitter for interns. And so I applied and I had more experienced than most people who applied because I had worked with video editing programs before. Yeah. Um, and so I got like a quick three month internship there. Like nothing really came of it, but uh, I entered for Philip DeFranco for a bit. And when much later I suddenly like, I got into like Game Grumps because I had wa- had watched uh, Ego Raptors sequel Ida series and stuff. And I really liked his work. Yeah. Um, and then from Game Grumps, I got into JonTron and from JonTron, I got into Normal Boots. And then, so I was just binging everything because I was doing like random like crafts. I used to do like Pepakura and everything. And um, so I was just binging stuff and like halfway through binging the entire completionist series, he put out a call on Twitter for interns. And I was like, huh, I've done that before. I could do that again. So I put in, like I applied and I got picked up and uh, for a while, it was me and another uh, IRL friend of mine that just were doing basically odd job work for Gerard and Alex. And that was when they started the decks. And actually, my friend started as the editor for the decks. He edited the first episode. And then he was like, I don't really like Pokemon. This is not for me. I'd rather take over on the completionist. And I was like, cool, let's swap. And we did. And yeah, it just spiraled since from there. Gerard knows everybody. So just by... <laughs> he does seem like, to know everybody. He's probably the most connected person in the entire YouTube gaming space. Like, you hang out with that guy for a collective seven days, and any four of those days are gonna you're gonna meet somebody who you're like, how do you know this person? So <laughs> I just met a bunch of people, and because I kind of knew my place is like a, I'm just an intern, just kind of like tag along. Don't be like, even if you're a fan, don't be like a that fan. Um, I kind of i guess they kind of respected that a little bit so people kind of treated me as less an intern more of like a, oh you're gerard's friend well it's professional and, professionalism is even in that sort of space that was still early on with people mm-hmm. just making funny videos for the internet like it is trying to be professional at the same time if gerard is calling out for interns he's trying to run a business right yeah absolutely it, it is a professional thing to be doing which is which is really great and obviously people did respect that yeah, and um, so, I mean, I will never understate how much I owe to the, uh, the like, intern run with the completionist. Because, I mean, I still I am a part of TOVG, uh, which is what that basically became. Like, we've been, we've had two different offices now. There's an office right now super cool to go to. So I put a couple other YouTubers that work out of there and, like, and know basically all I know and all the, the people that I know. In YouTube, pretty much stemmed from that one yeah. thing. So, 
yeah, that's basically how I got here. It's really intriguing to hear because one thing I have learned over the course of doing Final Games is that on the video game developer side of thing, it's a very similar thing where mm-hmm. you'll speak to someone and you're like, oh, you know this person? Oh, I know that person. And then they know that person. Oh, you know that person as well. And, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a weirdly connected space of people who have yeah. worked for each other or introduced someone to another who has gone on to work for them. And I feel that's very similar with the TOBG normal boots sort of game grumps space, which is kind of mm-hmm. like the most dominating part of gaming YouTube. I feel like I don't know whether yeah, that's yeah. true, but it's definitely, that's the way it feels as someone who has watched things like the completionist for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's how I sort of knew who you were being a presence in the background, being connected to this whole sort of space of YouTubers who now sort of work in the same office. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really crazy. Like, uh, a few friends, a few very, very close friends of mine these days are, I met from when the TOVG site started a forum with a little submission zone where if you made gaming videos of any kind, you could just submit and like, maybe we'll feature it in the weekly feature. And like, like I'd say maybe four or five of my closest friends I met through some form of that, like, uh, um, first AKA Forrest Lee. Uh, he made this great video on Gunpei Yokoi and we featured it because it was amazing. And like that, that guy is like legit one of my closest friends now, but I just knew him from like, oh, I found this cool video on the forum. Should we feature it? Like super weird. Like, I don't know. A lot of my life was uh, kind of hinged on that for a course of a few years, I guess. Yeah. And that's just the way it sort of happens. I feel like having someone who's been through both the development side of video games, but also the media side that you end up meeting people who are like-minded, who have sort of come from similar backgrounds to you have in terms of like how you grew up, what you were influenced by, what you enjoy, what you see creatively. And there is always sort of that connection um, that you don't really get with other people. And it Mm. is weird how you meet people through those kind of spaces. (laughs) Um, But now, obviously, you are freelancing and you're also editing and you're doing your own stuff, which sounds incredibly busy. Um, but it is all video game orientated. So do you get a lot of time to actually play video games that you don't need to be playing for, whether it's your own channel or maybe capturing footage for stuff and that kind of stuff? Do you get um, a lot of time to play stuff get, that you want? I get enough. I enough. definitely get enough. Um, I could probably, I don't know. It's hard to say. Sometimes I have the free time and I look at my, you know, the same same old story, vast library of too many Steam games or whatnot, <laughs> and I just don't want to play any of that. Um, I definitely don't get to play as many modern games. Um, the most modern game I picked up was PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and that's because a friend was like, "You got to play it with me. You got to play it with me." And I was like, "Okay, fine." Um, but I stick to some. I stick to comfort games lately. Uh, stuff like Diablo three really easy to go back to and pick up um oh you know <laughs> we got a weird one recently an early access steam game called golf with your friends i don't know if you've ever heard of that i have not heard of this what is this this sounds amazing it's about it's as early access as you think it will be um it's a physics-based mini golf game and it's got some like wacky stages it's definitely 
It's got its fair share of issues, and the kind of big pull <laughs> is that you can play with uh, eight people at a time, and you can change the rules to be wacky, like like super bouncy or low gravity, or you get a random ball shape every round, which could be a cube or an acorn <laughs> or a, a hockey puck. And so yeah, amazing. we um, yeah, it's it's great. They just added a dunk mode where the hole becomes a basketball hoop that's off the ground. You have to use a jump ability. To like jump it in the hoop it's really yeah like i get to play stuff like that with my friends every now and then um i probably put off some things i should be doing when i'm playing that stuff but i always try and capture footage just in case it sparks something to talk about yeah um but i would say i get i get plenty of time to play the games that i want to play that's good so you, you keep up to date and i mean you've made videos on like breath of the wild and stuff like that so you're still sort of in the space of what is like the most Im- not important but the most sort of talked about stuff at the time yeah um just like it's mostly my budget that keeps me from getting into a whole bunch of new games because like i wanted to play the new doom when it came out but i wasn't able to buy it at the time because i didn't really have any of the systems it was on i okay. think it's on steam but i think it came out a little bit after i don't remember but i was like i want to play it but I don't want to spend $60 right now. And <laughs> so I waited a good amount of time. And then um, recently I actually came into a PS4 that my friend gifted to me, uh, his old one. And I was super grateful for that. But then I was like, oh my God, I can play Doom now. So I borrowed yeah. Doom from Open this whole cause... new world of sort of games that you, you at the time may have been expensive or whatnot but have now been sort of reduced because they're like six seven months old reduced to like 30 40 dollars or something like that right also i have friends who are just game collectors who have a billion games and that's like, true you must be pretty, you must have access to some pretty good libraries of physical i don't know holy grails around the sort of completionist office and uh the st- yeah, <laughs> he, stuff like that he hasn't he has an almost completed wii u library so I think that's a, a fair rarity these days to have like most, if not all, the games on the Wii U in physical form. <laughs> I um, guess that but point I definitely you've got too much stuff, and you, you oh get yeah, yeah, repeats of. Uh, I can't, I can't get back into game collecting. I just remembered having not enough space, and now I live in Japan. It's even more impossible with the tiny Japanese apartments to have more yeah, than yeah. twenty odd games on a shelf. So. <laughs> <laughs> but talking of games. We are here now to send you off to a deserted island. I apologize. Oh no, it's alright. I, like I said, I've been playing Player, Un- Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, so like I'm kind of used to it. Oh yeah, that's true. But unfortunately, you're going to be the only one. There are not going to be a uh, hundred other people that you have to fight to the death. To... Well, that just means I I just win, right? Winner, winner, chicken dinner, right off the start. Winner, winner, chicken. Di- <laughs> yeah, we can we can essentially say that you've you've parachuted onto the island. You've killed everyone violently. <laughs> disgustingly and uh right. you are winner winner chicken dinner and you are now getting the luxury of eight games that have washed up upon the shore of the island which we will talk about in a little bit okay. um, you have got the eight games that you have chosen and now you can just relax put you put your guns away mm-hmm. put your traps away and let's talk about some games so jimmy how about we dive into your final games then i'm down let's go cool So let's listen to some music from Jimmy's first game and let's dive into his final games. (laughs) 
so kicking off Jimmy's list today then is a game I know you're very, very fond of. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm not sure. Is it? Can we classify it as your favorite game? Is it? Mm, is it that, those are dangerous, dangerous territory yeah, of words. Uh, it is. I've, I, I kind of stopped with the fi- with the favorite game thing. It's very difficult these days when you play so many and have such nostalgia mm. for older games that even though in your mind you might think they're fantastic when you go back and play them, um, maybe you're like, mm, can I classify this as my favorite game? But I don't think that is the case with this game because this game is still very much playable and yeah. so much fun even now. Um, unfortunately, I think it was a game, I think that you've mentioned in some of your videos in the past that it was overlooked and maybe not Overlooked and critically panned. Yeah, yeah. Um, critically not appreciated for what it was. It was a unique game at the time, but a lot of fun. Even I enjoyed it myself. I've, it was developed by HAL Laboratory, and directed, of course, by the one and only Kirby creator himself, Masahiro Sakurai. It released back on the GameCube in Japan initially in July of 2003, and then a little later that year in both North America and then in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. It features the lovely pink blob himself that I adore so much, Kirby. It is, of course, Kirby's Air Ride. I think anyone who knows you or has watched your videos, Jimmy, will may have guessed that this game was going to appear on this <laughs> list. So kicking off your final games then, you have chosen Kirby's Air Ride. Why are you taking it with you? Oh, well, first of all, it's um, something that I, I pick up and play on a pretty regular basis. Like, I... Not so much since I got into my recent apartment, because I don't have a, uh, I don't really have my GameCube set up the way I used to. Um, I actually had it set up to capture footage. I played through Metroid Prime Two, but that's a whole different other story. Long story short, <laughs> the GameCube is in is in a drawer somewhere right now, as opposed to being ready to play. But Kirby Air Ride is one of the few GameCube games I still own to this day. Um, it is basically as far as I'm concerned, infinitely replayable. Uh, it's not a very hard game, and that's a that's a very Kirby thing. But um, it might be the earliest game that I remember playing that had achievements in some form. Uh, which I guess later, some uh, some people in the comments of my video were saying that the that checkbox achievement system was picked up for. I think I want to say it was the more recent Kid Icarus game or another HAL Laboratories game kind of uh, took it. Well, you know what Smash 4 did. Uh, Smash but, 4 you know. did, yeah. Um, yeah, Kirby Air Ride. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's such a weird anomaly. It's a racing game, but like the best part of it is absolutely not the racing. Um, so it has like a race mode with like nine courses that are all like pretty cool. Uh, it has like 32 different vehicles you can use. They're all really unique and interesting, and they all have their own merits and downfalls. Um, it has a, a really weird top-down mini race game that's like stupidly hard, or I'm just stupidly bad at it. Uh, <laughs> that's top but, right, right? Yeah, top right. It's yeah. I've I've never been able to get good at top right. I just can't. I just well, can't. it's okay because now you have plenty of time. <laughs> While you're on this deserted island to get good at that. That is one of yeah. the, the beauties that we always talk about on Final Games is that you have the time to get good at these things now. Yeah, uh, it's actually very influential on a few other of my picks in the list. But um, yeah, the the crowning jewel of Kirby Air Ride is uh, the city trial mode, which they 
did their best to recreate in the Smash Run mode on Smash Brothers 3DS, but that um, didn't quite work out as well for a number of factors. Uh, so basically, you're dropped into this city, and everyone starts with the worst vehicle in the game. The uh, is it called the Small Star something? It's basically the Warp Star, but it's it's bad. It has no boost, no no top speed. It's like really bad, but other random machines will just spawn in the city and you'll get power-ups that just increase your stats. You can get like, like abilities that help you glide farther or get higher top speed or whatever. And you just run around and there's the other people in the city. You can attack them and make them lose their stats. And that mode is the most fun thing ever because there's a random mini game at the end. So your stats can be like, Oh, we got a drag race and I have super high top speed, super high boost. I win. Like I'm so glad. Or (laughs) we got a, combat and i have super high top speed and boost i'm gonna do terrible like it's i've played that mode solo which i know a lot of people love playing it multiplayer i played that mode solo for hours dozens if not hundreds of hours of a multiplayer focused especially that mode specifically playing other players who know the map as well as you do and yeah it's just my friends never wanted to play it. They always wanted to play Melee. Like that was the that was the breakout. That was the breakout game well, for GameCube. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't blame them. Melee is fantastic, but uh, yeah, I played it by myself a lot. You can set the computer players to higher difficulty. Same like Smash. I think it's a nine point ranking of difficulty. And um, the real draw is that there's I, th- I forgot the exact number. Like a hundred and twenty achievement boxes for each of the three modes so like i just enjoyed running city trial again and again and again and going for specific objectives because you unlock stuff when you do the you unlock like sound test stuff you unlock different uh machines and or different courses and stuff and yeah i I just really enjoy filling out that checkbox list i know it's like it's probably a super bunny hop george's least favorite thing is ticking off boxes but <laughs> it's just so satisfying because you're just having fun when you're doing it it's just like icing on the cake after you finish each each round so this game obviously when it came out commercially didn't do not i don't, I don't want to say too bad because it sold over a million which back on the gamecube even then was like a lot because the gamecube overall didn't sell that many so a million mm-hmm, is pretty good mm-hmm. for a game so commissioner i don't want to say it did too badly um and it, it was a kirby spin-off it wasn't like a main lane kirby game as well but critically it did not do very well and when you see review scores for this game at the time like edge gave it like a three out of ten i think ign gave it like five out of ten um what, what, what do you feel they missed about the game that makes it a lot more fun than if you were to read those reviews and be like, oh, this game is just bad. I think there are, personally, I can't speak from experience. I haven't gone back and read a bunch of reviews. I mostly skimmed the scores just to see what people had to say. But I think that there are two major factors that may or may not have been like why that happened. And the first is that the GameCube had two killer racing games on it that were both Nintendo first party. That being Mario Kart Double Dash, which is my favorite Mario Kart in the entire series, and F-Zero GX, which is also my favorite F-Zero game in the entire series. (laughs) F-Zero GX is fantastic. And those are are lasting powerhouse 
games in the racing genre and their Nintendo first party. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure most people saw Air Ride as this sort of gimmicky tag along me too of a game. Uh, and then it, I'm sure that it wasn't helped by the fact that the game has one button controls, which sounds bad. It has negative connotation for some reason, but for Air Ride, it just it just works. Well, it you kind of makes a sense, and you use a control stick. It kind of makes sense as a Kirby game. Kirby's always kind of been this game that helps the player. It's a almost softer version of those more like when it came to Kirby platforming, it was like a softer version of Mario. It was a lot mm-hmm, easier. Mm-hmm. And even when we look at the most recent Kirby games, you know, Epic Yarn, you couldn't die and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of the philosophy of what Kirby has always been. So if you're going to make a racing game about Kirby, well, you have to sort of bear that in mind. And you're not going to have this insane F-Zero style gameplay, which is difficult and takes time to master. You're going to have this sort of unique control system that Sakurai is going to invent where it helps the player to do stuff. Um, so I can sort of see where the negative connotations come from, but also bearing in mind that it is a Kirby game at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's the thing with it is that the game still has a lot of depth because you can have all these different machines that have these weird, these weird, you know, uh, stipulations for how to drive them. Like one of them, the second you hit the A button, which is usually to slow down or drift, it makes it stop on a dime. And so you're constantly like jerking and start, starting to stop, starting to stop and the whole stage. It can be like a nightmare to drive for some people, but it's yeah. really fast. But then there's the other one where you hit the button and it, it will not, it doesn't have any friction. So like you hardly slow down at all. Then just that adds so much depth because you can randomize what machine you get or, you know, fighting people for the machine you want in city trial. Like a, a lot of that stuff's so much fun. And I think, it just kind of got written off quickly. Um, but as a kid who had a lot of time to really explore the depth of the game, I feel like I could be comfortable having that around to play. And I mean, heck, I can just fill out the checkbox system anytime I want. Sounds like a great time. I want to go play it right now. It does sound like a game that taking to a deserted island, filling out that checklist, having like an objective, even in something as small as that, will allow you to pass the time and also to feel kind of like you are progressing towards something, even if you are stuck on this island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that, that that's a good choice in that sense. And, you know, it's a game you really enjoy. And, I mean, even right now, talking about it makes you want to play it. So there is nothing <laughs> better to take to a deserted island than a game that makes you want to keep going back to it and back to it and um, just carry on enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that I think Kobe's Air Ride, kind of knowing who you are and the videos you've made in the past, was kind of something I expected a little bit. So I yeah, <laughs> I was I was in, I was happy that my thoughts of what I, I expected to be on your list were sort of fulfilled with this because I was looking forward to talking about it. <laughs> but we are going to move yeah. in. Gonna, I was please, just going to say, it's go uh, it's just kind of funny. Most of the games on this list, like even right before we started, I kind of like swapped one or two out and the other ones I kind of like deliberated on a bit. When I remembered, well, there's one other game on this list where when I remembered like, oh yeah, that game, it was a no brainer. It was like, yeah, that's going on. That is on the list, period. 
I do enjoy the no-brainers because they always have a special connection to people mm. for whatever reason there are. We mm. all have these games that you're like, well, of course I'm going to take that game. Like, that game means so much to me. And you might have to explain it to other people. Like, they're like, really? You, you're going to take mm. that game? And you're like, well, <laughs> let me tell you why. And they're always the best stories. And that's what this show is all about. So <laughs> good job, Sunder. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we move into the next game then, which is a game I know about, but I've never played personally. Um, so I'm very intrigued to hear why you would take it to a deserted island. And we also need to talk about the island in which you're going to. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game? And of course, as always, let's dive straight into it. So, Jimmy, before we jump into the second game that is on your list mm-hmm. today, we have to talk mm-hmm. about the island in which okay. we are sending you to. And I neglected to mention, as I like to do, that this is a part of the show <laughs> where we talk about where you're going to be deserted. I mean, we're giving you eight games, so we can't be expecting you to be fighting for survival. We right. want you to be comfortable and having mm-hmm. fun. And uh, although we are banishing you for your whole existence... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't want it to be too painful a, an experience. <laughs> so we allow you to choose the deserted island in which we send you. The rules being that it has to be from video games, and there will be oh. no there will be no one there, no NPCs who can help you escape. But if you choose somewhere that might have enemies or monsters or wild, dangerous wildlife, that will be there. So you have to take that oh. into consideration. <laughs> So is there anywhere that sort of sticks out in your mind immediately, like a wonderful place in video games that you're like, huh, I would not mind playing Kirby Air Ride for 60 years there? Oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah, you definitely didn't mention that I was going to be needing to pick the island, huh? (laughs) Uh, Like, I mean, I, I guess, like, stuff that sticks out to me immediately when I'm like, where would I want to be banished? Would be like something like uh, Azermist style from World of Warcraft, though I wouldn't want to be, you know, torn to shreds by owl bears. So probably not there. <laughs> there are safe um, zones there, though. There are safe zones, but how safe are they if there's no Draenei NPCs to to guard them? Well, we talk within the limits of <laughs> the video game itself. So if if they're programmed not to go into those safe spaces. Mm-hmm. then you're okay. They will forever not go into those spaces. Okay, that's a, that's a little bit more uh, freeing. 
Um, but I still probably wouldn't pick Azermist. I like the setting, but man, if you want me to talk for a very long time, just ask me what I think of the Exodar and why it's the worst city ever invented in any video game. <laughs> ever. Um, man, pick, could I... Hmm. How long do I have to think of an island? Well, we can talk about the next game and then we'll return back to it. Okay, so yeah. how give me a second to like stew on it in the background. No problem. Well, we'll let you think about that. I mean, it is a heavy decision after all. It's where you're going to be spending the rest of your time. So right. let's talk about the next game then, which, as I said prior, is a game I know about, but is a game I haven't played. It's developed by a studio called Hitbox Team, and it was distributed surprisingly by Capcom. Uh, and it released on platforms like PC, PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita, and Xbox 360. It released worldwide back in January of 2012 on PC, and then the later releases in 2014 for the PlayStation 3, Vita, and also Xbox 360. It's a platform mm-hmm. video game called Dust Force. Jimmy, yes. why are you taking Dust Force with you? Because it's sincerely one of the best platformer games ever created. Wow, that is very strong. That is it's, a very strong... Uh, strong strong um statement so please so, tell tell me a little bit why compared to stuff like mario kirby and all those heavy weights when it comes to platforming this is almost perfect okay well i will give the caveat at the start this is a very important reason why i kept dust force on the list um there was another game that was also contending for the spot for the same reason uh it has a very 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 robust level editor um okay. basically you have all the tools presented to you within the game to create a level that is of the same quality as those that are in the game complete with uh camera movements you can have different sounds or soundtracks fade in fade out depending on where you are uh, different lighting you can completely adjust the color of everything it's an incredibly robust level editor and the other contender for that spot was actually warcraft 3 uh which also had an incredibly robust level editor so yeah dust force gets high marks for that but this this seems to be a sort of running theme recently where everyone who sort of is a creative person or someone who works within creative spaces they have to take a game that has that added element of also being able to extend its lifetime via your own creation so i didn't know it had a level editor that's really Mm. it's really surprising and actually, if I recall from what we talked about on the TOVG podcast, when you're talking about the rules of final games, yeah. I can interact with online communities as long as I am not trying to do it to escape the island, correct? Yes, you can do that. Well, Dust Force has a really strong community, which is another reason, but uh, the community ha- actually built a site called Atlas, or I'm, I'm not sure if the community made it or if it was Hitbox Team, but... Uh, it's a Dust Force map sharing site, so you can rate and download and share your maps and everything. So um, I would, it's still active despite Dust Force being quite an old game at this point. Uh, so I'd always have other people's maps to download and check out and try and get high scores on or or good times on rather, um, which is why I think Dust Force is one of the best platformers platformers uh, of all time. It's a flow-based platformer, which not a lot of games really get right. I think most people will think of Sonic the Hedgehog when you mention something like flow and platforming together. Okay. But 
Sonic the Hedgehog does the thing where the camera's too close and then it's like, there's a spike oh, and you hit it. Do, do you feel happy? And I'm like, no, I don't feel happy because I didn't see that. So there's no way I could have reacted. Dust Force is like this serene experience where there's dust or leaves or whatever on the surfaces of the walls and the ceiling and the floor. And the objective of, the, of each level is to get to the end of the stage and clean all the dust. And you don't have to clean all the dust, but to get an SS rank, uh, which means you clean all the dust in one combo and you clean all or you clean all the dust and you do it in one combo and you get to the end of the stage. Yeah. That's how you get a top rank on, on a stage. Okay. And it's the mechanics are so deep and subtle and like learning how to get continuous forward motion and get up some of the trickier parts, and there's a lot of like preserving <clears throat> excuse me preserving like jump charges to make sure that you can get across a big gap or yeah. uh chaining jumps by destroying airborne enemies or whatever to regain a jump charge in the correct order it's it's just very zen it's a zen platformer and um the online community has embraced it so hard that uh you can watch their replays because there's an in-game replay system you can see everything that they do so there's not a person can't get an amazing time for something that's completely bullshit. Like they can't like hide it to themselves. If they get an amazing time, the rest of the community can see why, and they can try and Emulate. you know borrow that technique. Yeah, yeah. And um, so much has come out of it. I mean, the game art has like I want to. It's like a hundred levels in it or something to begin with. Um, so it's pretty robust already. Yeah, it's it's very filled out, and the levels aren't super long. A couple of them are, but like, it feels all right to just get to the end of the level. But then you get that drive where you're like, I want to, I want to get the SS rank. I want to clean all the dust in one combo, and that becomes this, this like, ah oh man, it's hard to describe. It's like in in Meat Boy, just getting to the end of the level is that thing where you grind like fifty tries in a row. Yeah, Dust Force, you can get it in one go, like. You, you might die, but it'll just count towards your time. The difficulty um, isn't to the extent of, like, Meat Boy. It's a game that wants you to pass it. Like, it wants you to yeah. feel that flow and not be hindered by dying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and the, the, like, urge to keep playing is because you want to get that SS rank. Because you actually unlock more levels by uh, SSing stages you'll get keys to certain areas and stuff and to it unlock the entirety of the game and the final hyper difficult levels you need to um you need to get ss ranks on all the hardest levels uh so it's got a really good progression to it the levels are ranged from like super easy to insanely difficult um <laughs> they even they the developers even put in a secret level into the level ed editor uh where if you type in a certain name in, into your level when you hit create, it generates their hype, like insanely not okay difficult level where it uses a lot of like bugs and glitches and stuff that the community <laughs> has sort of embraced as techniques. Yeah. And it has like spaces that have a one frame window to drop through, um, like basically for the, for the hardest of hardcore only. Um, but there's also the easiest stages in the world where it's just like, oh, just go forward and like boost down these ramps. And like, so it, it covers the spectrum of a platformer on all sides. And I really, really enjoy that game. And 
I would have plenty of time to try and crawl my way up the leaderboards and see if I can get any uh, top tens. Well, that, again, this is another game that time invested equals progression mm-hmm. that you can you can literally see progression. Yeah, where you can see yourself getting better and better over time. Um, it's funny because we were talking about, you know, you, you mentioned Sonic and that sort of, that flow. Is this a game that sort of takes control away from the player like Sonic does? Or through even when you're flowing, you feel completely in control of the character at all times and that you can change the course of your movement or actions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There is no point, at least that I can recall, where Dust Force kind of gives you that, like, soft cutscene that would be like going through the rapid loops in Sonic. Yeah. Um, even there are like a, a couple stages that kind of emulate having a loop in them with the geometry. Um, but you you got to move that control stick in all the right places and hit your boosts at all the right times to get through it. Uh, there's there's a lot of technique in Dust Force, which makes it this really like, I don't know, it's hard to describe it other than Zen. Um, there's a very distinct rhythm where if you dash down a slope, or if you drop from the air onto a slope and then you hit dash, you'll catch a huge speed boost. And then there's a certain rhythm that you can keep boosting to keep that speed. And okay. so I, I don't know how can... I've passed this kind of game over because this is exactly the type of game I love playing. I love playing rhythm based platform, not based platformers, but platformers that have like a flow to them that you, you, you can have the muscle memory built inside of you where you know exactly when to hit the buttons to like, get the best mm-hmm. jumps or the best um the the movement that you grow over time while replaying a level over and over again i really enjoy that so this is yeah, the kind of yeah. game i'm intrigued to actually go and check out actually it's uh first of all pc is the only way to go for it um capcom was really generous to like pick up this game from a bunch of no-name developers with like a really weird theme of being like superhero janitors essentially but <laughs> the i played the xbox 360 port and it's not perfect for a game okay. that's that's so <clears throat> dependent on uh on like short span movements like stuff that can happen only on one or two frames on the hardest yeah. dif- hardest levels uh it it doesn't lend well to that i felt a lot of input lag when playing it maybe it's better these days but um yeah definitely get it on steam okay I'm very intrigued to check it out. Actually, I'm. It's sort of. I'm currently playing a few games very similar to that, and games that are sort of those rinse and repeat rhythm platformers for something I'm working on. So I'm. I'm gonna have to add that to the repertoire of games that inspire that kind of sort of thing. I'm very intrigued by games like Bit Trip Runner and Super mm-hmm. Meat Boy, all that sort of flow based platforming i can't believe i've sort of passed over dust force i know about it but i i didn't know that it was like that kind of game yeah absolutely um i don't think a lot of people know about it it's pretty indie pretty small even you know with the like with the great community that was behind it so um yeah could not recommend it enough for people who like platformers Excellent. Well, I will pick it up and I will play through it and then I will compare my scores to you while you're trapped on the deserted island and see who can rapidly progress up the leaderboards <laughs> faster, which I have no doubt will be you. Um, I mean, I, I have a good 
300 hours in it so wow that is a lot of hours for a platform <laughs> man you get stuck on that one stage that you just want to get such a good time if if and when you play it when you find the stage park in the city okay that's that's one of my favorite stages in the game and i okay. i grinded really hard to get top 50 on the leaderboards <laughs> and that even that that took it all out of me <laughs> well as we said you're gonna have plenty of time to master as many levels in dust Wars as you can and speaking of games that take a lot of time away from the player and you can play for hundreds and hundreds of hours and get better and better um unfortunately not in a sense like dust Wars where mm. you can master the level because the level is static and stays the same and um, the next game is a roguelike that you're just gonna have to master the mechanics of to get better so why don't we listen to some music from the next game and let's of course dive straight into it So the next game now on Jimmy's list is another game that we can spend a long, a long, long time playing. Many, many hours. I have so many friends who, when I look at their Steam hours played for this game, it's just mm -hmm. unreal. It's unreal. Yep. I'm not someone who has personally <laughs> got into this game that much. I have picked mm -hmm. up the most recent Switch version, and I'm playing that, and it's a lot of fun. Um, Roguelike's... I, I really enjoy, but I don't know whether it, what it was about this game. I don't know whether it was aesthetically or something. When it initially came out, I just wasn't that interested. But then after the multiple versions that have come out and the amount of hours that my friends have been playing this game, it felt like something I had to sort of get in on. So I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say about this, Jimmy. And it is a game that was published by Super Meat Boy creator Edmund McMillan. It released mm -hmm. originally as a Flash game back in 2011, as a roguelike dungeon crawl shooter, very inspired by Zelda, uh, in its is sort of its layout, I guess. Nothing really else, I think, is yeah, inspired yeah. by Zelda. <laughs> Just the way it looks. Um, it's since gone on to have multiple different versions. Um, I forget all of the different types now, but we're, I think we're on Afterbirth Plus now. Yeah, is the most Afterbirth recent Plus. version, which released on the Nintendo Switch as well, and it's a great port of the game. So this is, of course, the indie roguelike. Binding of Isaac. Yep. Jimmy, game why why Binding of Isaac? And also tell me about which version you're going to be taking with you. Um, <clears throat> well, I actually haven't picked up Afterbirth Plus, but I assume I would just get whatever recentest version uh, would be out. But I'd be fine with Rebirth or regular Afterbirth. Um, Binding of Isaac, basically, this spot on the list was like, I need to pick a roguelike or a roguelite. I, like, I need to pick something in that vein. So which one is it going to be? And Binding of Isaac is the one that I've gone back to the most. FTL was a close 
a close uh, contender. Okay. Um, and also Risk of Rain, but I think that Isaac, in the end, is the one that has the most longevity, um, like a most a more broad scope of where, you know, I can play as these, like, well, I think it's up to 13 or so different characters now. There's some hyper-difficult challenges that require both good play and good luck to get through. Um, and I often find myself getting sucked back into where it's like, I just want to play one round. And I'll play five rounds. And I'll say, <laughs> why did I, like, why did I just do that? There are so many other games that I have that I need to play through. And <laughs> We all sort of have those type of games where you're like, yeah, I'll yeah. just turn it on for 10 minutes. Oh, oh that goes <clears> two hours. Crap. I should yeah, have spent um, more time being progressive in something else. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't have much to say about Isaac that hasn't been said, you know, a billion times over at this point. Um, it's one I of those kind I... of self-explanatory choices where right, yeah. I really like this game. This game offers me in a situation such as this. I don't want to keep harping on about the situation of being on a deserted island because mm -hmm. it's quite depressing. But if you do have a lot of time on your hands, this is that kind of game, right? If you're already yeah. into it, it is one of those no-brainer choices, I think. Yeah, and just in general, um, I think probably the only like fresh perspective I have on Isaac is after being away since before Afterbirth and picking it up now, like years after it came out, I kind of realized that uh, Binding of Isaac is a very Minecraft-like game in that it requires a Wikipedia for you to fully get your enjoyment out of it. Okay. Um, like, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's just my personality type but um there are so many bad items in the game and picking one up can ruin your entire run okay and i don't particularly enjoy that taking chances um so if i there's actually a really good site for isaac a cheat sheet called uh, platinumgod.co.uk and it's just a, a huge item list it tells you what synergies every item has it tells you what it does really quick and um it has a really good search feature where you can search by item color, which is super helpful when you don't know what items are called. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I find my enjoyment of the game goes up exponentially when I play with that open on a second monitor, as opposed to me just playing it and being like, the heck does that thing do? I don't know. Let me grab it. And then it's like, oh, this is the item that makes you do worse. Like, oh, cool. Great. <laughs> so if we are talking about you going to the island we need to get back to actually, and talk about i've yeah i forgot that you sneakily i've not decided yet um yeah can is this like a wikipedia you can personally edit um no platinum god is a a um community run site by i think a few members it's so we could potentially allow you to have access to just that one website if it's not like a wiki where you could just edit help i'm stuck on a deserted island here right exactly help yeah so, i i don't think there's any community interaction on the site in any way i'm pretty sure it's just an item list that is curated by longtime fans of the game okay so maybe we can allow your isaac the isaac we're going to give you Depending on the one, the one you choose, um, so if you choose the PC version, I guess we could have a second monitor set up to have this almost <laughs> database-like system. I mean, I don't, 
require a second monitor. I could just tab out of the game and. <laughs> is this like a necessary must to this choice? Would would you? I uh, would you I figure that be. Would your experience choosing it for final games be greatly diminished if you didn't have this website? I feel like if I had enough time with the game and if my island included paper or a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) You can um, make your own database. Yeah. Well, you have all the time. Offline. Time, time yeah, yeah. we know, is not a factor. No, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I might take that as a personal challenge to be like, just go through the game, try your best to enjoy uh, getting fucked over by bad item choices uh, while you learn what everything does. The only thing is there are a lot of underlying Isaac rules that they never tell you. Um, stuff like your corruption level and how that affects getting devil deal rooms and stuff. So I think Afterbirth Plus put actually a pretty handy UI feature that kind of helped with that. Okay. But doesn't doesn't state overtly what everything does, but you'll see like an upside down cross with like a 33% next to it. And you're like, oh, that's my corruption, I guess. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of Isaac rules that I still look up, such as, you know, what... What kind of damage up is this? How much damage up is it? Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think I'd get to it eventually where I can enjoy it after compiling my own list, but I would really want that site. Otherwise, I don't know if I would put this on the list over something like Diablo 3. Okay. So I guess this is a choice that is sort of in limbo. So until we do some later research and look into making sure that there is no way you can uh, call for help via mm-hmm. such a website... Um, we're gonna we're gonna allow it. We're gonna allow it. Okay, so you, cool. You can you can take it with you and have that ultimate experience. Because um, the, the with final games, we are creating this stipulation that you know you are trapped and you have these limitations. But we don't want limitations on your enjoyment and experiences of why these games are important or mm-hmm. the reasons that you've chosen them. And there, if that is a key aspect of why you enjoy playing Binding of Isaac so much, then who am I to deny such things? <laughs> but speaking of islands, yep, we need to we need to sort of backpedal a little bit to <laughs> talking about where it is we are actually going to send you. And I don't know if you've uh, through all this discussion of roguelikes and platformers and all this wonderful stuff that we've been chatting about. Have you managed to sort of narrow down a few ideas, or do you have? Uh, it's hard to them? even. It's hard to even think of a video game island, especially when I'm staring at the next next game on the list. Yeah. And it's you, don't, like, you don't have to necessarily think of it in, uh, as an island. It can be anything from video games that is a space that oh, is just going to okay. be deserted. It's going to be like a phantom zone in which you exist. So it oh, could be a okay. City. That's interesting. Well, in that, in that case... Um... I think I might actually do something from World of Warcraft because I quite like hanging out in the realm of Azeroth. Uh, probably the Night Elf starting zone. Is that Teldrassil? I can never remember all those names. <laughs> I, I went down Azeroth a rabbit hole one time. 
Azeroth is literally its own world now with many, many, yeah. many places. I went down a deep, deep rabbit hole one time, and I spent the better part of 180 hours uh, on the second monitor while working, uh, watching World of Warcraft lore videos. So there's a lot of names floating around in my head. <laughs> um, I, I know Teldrassil is the world tree. I don't know if it's the current one or if it's the previous one. But yeah, Night Elf starting zone in that big old tree trunk. I'd be cool chilling in there. He's got some nice, nice fountains and rivers. It's nice and dark, which I'm, I'm all about. It's kind of chilled out. Zen vibes. Well, then we'll be sending you to this Night Elf realm um, and that starting zone. And hopefully you can, they can tell, well, I was going to say they can tell you, but no one's going to be there. Yep. Uh, you're going to just be in this zone that you don't even know the name of. Um, but as long as it's good for you and you have all these pretty rivers, it's a little, <laughs> looks a little, I don't know, would, would you get bored of this sort of grim sort of purple darkness? Not purple, kind of reddishy brown darkness. Uh, well, first of all, purple is my favorite color, so I'd never get sick of purple. But, okay. Um, my mistake there. For for the record, I looked it up. It is Teldrassil. So Excellent. On well me. remembered. Well remembered. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's a broad enough area. There's like a, a nice shoreline where I can go and hang out. Um, there's, uh, I mean, the Night Elf city is in there. It'll be abandoned, but it's beautiful. So it'll be my city. <laughs> it would be your city. It would be entirely, yeah. you'd be the king of the, of the Night Elf realm. <laughs> <laughs> a king with no subjects, unfortunately. Yeah. But we're going to be sending you there then. So at the end of this episode, once we've got the sort of Binding of Isaac website stuff out of the way and all the uh, contracts have been signed um, in blood, because that's the way it works, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll send of you off. Does. And we'll send you with the next game that we're going to talk about now. And it's a game that is very dear to my heart as well. A game I love so much with some excellent, excellent music. So let's listen to it and let's talk about it. So let's listen to some music from this next game and dive straight into it. Next game on your list, Jamie. I feel like he's one of the only mm, linear, not kind of linear sort of experience, the more traditional mm -hmm. gaming experiences, I feel. We have yeah. a lot of modern sort of roguelikes and games with replayability. And although this mm -hmm. game is highly replayable just because it's so fantastic, it is more structured and a little more linear, especially considering it is a Super Nintendo game. Released mm. back in 1995, 
for the Super Nintendo. It was developed by Nintendo's EAD team and directed by the one and only Takeshi Tezuka and had music obviously by Koji Kondo and produced by Miyamoto-san himself. It released under the title Super Mario World 2, but everyone pretty much knows it as its subtitle, Yoshi's Island. Jimmy, why are you taking Yoshi's Island? Because it's one of the best Super Nintendo games ever created. That is uh, I'll true. stop using. <laughs> I'll stop using that answer for everything. Um, <laughs> no, so, because the fact is, if these choices are why, if the choices you have chosen are because to you they are personally the best in their certain areas, that that is a fantastic reason as to take them. I mean, there's a there's a few factors that go into picking Yoshi's. First of all, this. I, again, I tried to spread my list out so I had like a variety of things to do. Um, this spot was contested by Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion, uh, Kirby Superstar, um, pretty much any of the of the classic Mario's, Mario World and Mario Three. Like, there's a lot that could have gone into this spot, and I felt like if I got too many of the similar, of a similar game, like first party Nintendo platformer, yeah, I'd be like okay. Like maybe maybe back off on it. Because um, I am Yoshi, intrigued because when I when you gave me a list, there was no Metroid game on there. And I know you're a big fan of Metroid. <sighs> it's a tough decision, man. Really tough decision. <laughs> I feel like if I was to be stranded on an island for the rest of my life, it would be best for me to just let the Metroid series rest in peace, you know? Uh, so just give in to what Nintendo have already given to themselves. Personally. I've experienced all the good games. I didn't play the really bad one <laughs> and I didn't play the recent kind of bad one. So, you know, what, what else do I have to gain? I played them enough. I, I enjoyed them for their time. Uh, that's actually though. Super Metroid was a contender for the spot for the same reason that Yoshi's Island got the spot, which is they're both incredible speedrunning games. Um, okay. So yeah, I we don't spoke a little bit about this on the, when I guessed it on the TOVG podcast, we spoke a little bit about, I think you mentioned that when if you were doing final games, you would have this sort of speedrunning aspect as a part of it as well. Yeah, there there needed to be one game on the list, uh, which Dust Force is an incredible speed game, but uh, there needed to be one game on the list that I can have that was a more traditional, like something that you'll see at the next GDQ and it'll be hype and everyone will love it because it has a bunch of great tech in it. Uh, and Super Metroid and Yoshi's Island are both notoriously... Uh, great speed games they have a lot of intricate tech uh high actions per minute and everything so um but i mean just in general i love yoshi's island it's uh one of my favorite games on the super nintendo next to kirby superstar um and you know it's it's a game that i can pick up at any time and play it's great it does have an amazing soundtrack uh it has really st- stupidly hard bonus levels that you can get if you get the <laughs> the hundred on every stage in the game and um it's replayable despite the fact that it is a you know a linear experience i enjoy replaying through it every time i play it and that last boss with the great guitar theme like what like why did they <sighs> so many weird decisions that made one of the most unique games on the on the console and i mean it obviously does not have any lack of praise no, it is one of the... I can't remember where it sits now on Metacritic. I think it's like a 91 or something ridiculous. Mm. But I think that's the yeah. GBA version because I don't think Super Nintendo games are on Metacritic. So 
that's the GBA one, which is a port. So even the Super Nintendo yeah, yeah. one might even be higher if it was potentially. I think it was like ten out of tens across the board or nines. It's just a wonderful game. Uh, I wouldn't game. doubt it. It's it a, is. It is quite fantastic. So the version you'd be taking would be the Super Nintendo version, not the GBA version. Yeah, I, I prefer the. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to play on that tiny little screen. That's um, very true. You need those bright, uh, um, wonderful colors. I mean, I, I suppose I can have like the the since I already have a GameCube there for Air Ride, I could have the GBA player on it. But um, I, I think I'd like to have a, a Super Nintendo around just for comfort. <laughs> oh, but when we're talking about Super Nintendo, which one are you gonna? have around are you gonna have like the european one which is the japanese famicom which looks way better than what you received over there so that's subjective really oh well i guess purple's your favorite color isn't it purple's my favorite color man the super nintendo and the gamecube aesthetic hits see the gamecube aesthetic is nice but comparatively the i think the the american super famicom is a it's a little rough it's a little boxier for sure, but um, also the gray is is a little darker to suit the purple. I think maybe I'm not sure. Oh, well, you know, I think yeah, the gray is a little darker, and the Famicom gray is a bit more um, eggshell, like a yes. bit off off white. Or yes, um, but yeah, I, I'd have the North American version. It's the one I have when known. Ha- in- okay, that's fair enough. And purple is your favorite color as well, so I would right. imagine that stands out. Talking about Yoshi's Island then, and how the sort of series has gone on, it, you know, we had Yoshi's Story on the sort of N64 that was mm-hmm. not that well received, even though it's a game I had when I was a kid that I played a lot of, and I have right. fond memories of. And you know, you had Yoshi's Island DS, Yoshi's New Island, um, and then we've got recent, you know, Yoshi's Woolly World and that kind of stuff. It, how is the series? Have you played these games? Do you, did you get excited about playing new Yoshi's game after growing up playing Yoshi's Island? And have um, you been disappointed since, or do you still see the appeal in playing Yoshi games? You know what's weird is I haven't played almost any of them. I think I haven't played any of them after Island. I was very interested in Woolly World. Uh, Never got around to picking it up. Don't know why. I was a big supporter of the Wii U. I really, like, tried to buy the games I liked on that system. But yeah, um, I do want to eventually go back and play Woolly World because a lot of people were saying it holds up against Yoshi's Island. It's a really good game, and I love the aesthetic. Uh, Yoshi's Story never really interested me because uh, I know it was it was a bit more of a like kid friendly, kid oriented game. Um, and I don't know. I, I know they had like new Yoshi's Island on the 3DS or something, yeah. but I, pretty much universally, I heard that was just like not as good. Okay. So I was like, and and graphically, like you can't. That's, that's something special about Yoshi's Island, man. You just can't match up to that <laughs> classic style. It, it's like it's like the Wind Waker in that, like, yeah, they made an HD version, but why? The classic looks so good. Um. The, so, the, the HD does look very good, though. The HD it, the, the art style definitely is timeless, and the GameCube yeah. version will always look good, even though it's on a GameCube. The HD one, I think maybe they overdid it on the Bloom a little bit. Mm. But I man, there's game, actually a uh, looks good. I'm not sure if you if you ever watched any videos by Matthew Matosis. I think I've seen a few of his. 
Okay, so he did, a, he did a long Zelda series review, and he actually had an interesting point that made me look at uh, Wind Waker HD's art style differently. Okay. Um, everything, depending on the lighting, has gradients on it, which is a thing that the original Wind Waker never did. It always was pure flat cell shaded. So it can make things look a little unsettling if you catch them in the right angle and like Link's face is like heavily shaded like a 3D sphere. Uh, and okay. It clashes with the cell shading that they've that they like imitated through the eight, the upraised graphics. It's very very fascinating. Um, okay. I, he obviously says it more eloquently than I do, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that definitely would be a little off putting because what was appealing about the Wind Waker's graphics. Not to talk too much about the Wind Waker because you are not taking it with you, but right. the sort of the block <laughs> color bold no sort of outlines the just mm. wonderful standout color and having that shading would maybe look a little too much like it's got outlines all over the place and yeah, that would yeah. be a little off-putting for me i think i didn't i didn't notice myself too much but now i probably if i went back and played it um i'd probably not stop noticing it if i did manage to see it <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's okay um but that's the thing i think what is um going back to yoshi yoshi's island the hand-drawn style was so pushing the super nintendo hardware at the time and just being Mm. just so bright and so bold and so wonderful to look at that you know trying to imitate that was maybe a mistake and i think that's maybe why woolly world which had its own aesthetic that was very different and yeah it's very much its own thing obviously it was very similar to another game being kirby's epic yarn but as a yoshi game standing out you know it had its own aesthetic and maybe was trying to rekindle what Yoshi's Island originally did, which is have this different art style to what Mario had. Yeah, this uh, technically Super Mario World too. The the thing that I always sort of viewed it as is that um, since it it is Mario World two, and you technically lose if Mario goes, it gets captured. Um, I've always viewed it in in that you are technically you're seeing the world through the eyes of Baby Mario, so everything even though it doesn't look like Super Mario World, it's the same things. You're just seeing it through the lens of a child who doesn't understand any of it. So everything's all like wacky and inflated. And like, it's like the the Lilo and Stitch aesthetic where everything is like, like a camera is not a, a square. It's like, it looks like you put a bike pump in it and like pumped it up a little bit and everything's all plump. And like, it's the same thing, but you're viewing it through a different lens, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's, okay. So, like, you're seeing things as Baby Mario. Everything yeah. is weirdly bright and strange to you. Yeah, and so that's what I've always, that's why I've always, like, kind of, it looks like the crayon drawing version of something, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I've always really liked that. I think it would hold up for a really long time. I think I'd be able to go back and just play through it on a whim. Absolutely. And it kind of is one of the only linear games on your list. You have another game coming up later that is a little more... Yeah. It's a very similar linear, but in a different way to mm-hmm. what is essentially a static platformer like Yoshi's Island. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're going to move back into the space of games you can play forever now and <laughs> a series based all around rinse and repeat mechanics yeah. and taking on a mission, doing it, farming taking on the mission again, farming, and essentially building your progress up to uh, where 
wear your rewards, <laughs> which is very unique <laughs> to this series alone, I think. So let's listen yeah. to some music. Let's sound the hunting horns and let's talk about the next game. So the next game on Jimmy's list is we're heading back into that space of games you can play forever. Games that have excellent repetitive, not repetitive, repetitive sounds like a bad word, but game repeat gameplay that is all, its mechanics are all built around, taking on the same missions over and over again. And this time, not a roguelike, not a platformer. It's all about hunting. And we've had many, many different versions of this series and iterations within this franchise and when you gave me your list jimmy you just wrote down the title of the franchise and then you're like well i guess the most recent version is the one i'll take <laughs> so the most recent 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 version of this series is a game called generations technically we will have a nintendo switch version coming out but that is only scheduled for japan so far and it's called double cross so we're gonna right, have to the go. The switch for... is region free, so That's I can true. just theoretically fly over to Japan real quick, grab myself a copy. But you are know. you gonna want to play a Japanese text-only version game for the for the deserted island? Yeah, I can manage it. Okay, um, so let's say you we were actually. Take... I was talking with some friends about this today. Uh, most of what goes into Monster Hunter menu. Sorry, I spoiled the game. Uh, most of what goes into the game's menus is a lot of uh, katakana that yes. is uh, basically words that emulate English words, but like yeah. through phonetics. So like title screen is like uh, Taituro Skurinu or something. <laughs> yeah. based, so this like, series, for all intents and purposes. This series in English is called Monster Hunter, but if you, right. you break it down in Japanese, the katakana is Monster Hunter. Great. It's so, perfect. Yeah, so and technically the game you would be taking that is Monster Hunter Cross or Monster Hunter Double Cross. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> essentially um, the game is does fairly well with dealing in pictures anyway for all of the menu stuff, for any of the items that you collect. Each one has its own picture that's its own color. Uh, so maybe there would be a few stumbling blocks. I'm pretty sure they're going to release it in North America and they're just teasing right now. But Probably. Um, if not double cross, I'd be fine with generations. I'd be fine with just cross or four ultimate. All the monster <laughs> hunters are good for their own reasons. Well, um, let's say for the purpose of this, you're going to be taking double cross. And sure. you're going to take the Japanese version initially because the thing is you're being sent off to the, de the deserted right. 
realms now. So you're going to your World of Warcraft Azeroth place now, but the game isn't out until August. So we're going to have to mm-hmm. ship it to you via some courier in Azeroth. So <laughs> I guess if we're going to do that, I, I guess in the future you can download an English patch or something. We'll find a way of getting the English to you. But maybe you'll be accustomed to the Japanese by then and won't. it won't even matter. But we want to give you the, the best version you can. So an up beautiful version of Generations in Double Cross, I think, is the way to go. So the next mm. game is, of course, developed by Capcom and pretty much, I think, has overtaken Street Fighter and maybe even Resident Evil as their, their most commercially viable series. Although in the West, it, only recently since 4 Ultimate, has it boomed in popularity. The amount of people who play this series in Japan is just insane. This series is everywhere in Japan when it's being promoted, and you can't go into any combini or any video game store without being hit by either the Monster Hunter music or the Monster Hunter aesthetic. So, mm. of course, this is a very popular series for Capcom. So you are going to be taking Double Cross, yeah. the Switch version, hopefully, mm-hmm. Jimmy. So tell me a little bit then, why are you going to be taking Monster Hunter? Oh, well, I mean, it, it's the whole game's basis is around defeating the same creature multiple times, learning its patterns, um, learning what the weak spots are, how best to combat it, tactics that work well, and then you beat it a bunch of times, you carve off parts of it, and you compile a bunch of those parts, and sometimes you might get a rare part, and that helps you make armor and weapons out of it that help you progress to fight monsters that are slightly stronger than that one. And I, di- I didn't really get into it until 4 Ultimate, which I loved, and I played like 180 or, or so hours of it. And uh, I'm just going to say right now, if you're going to tweet at me to tell me that, oh, you're a weak casual because I didn't put in 1,000 hours, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I, every time I say I put in 180 hours, someone somewhere hears me, and they're like, oh, casual. I don't. I don't care. 180 hours is a long time. All right? I have not put 180 hours into a game since probably The Witcher 3. And even that was like, before that, I can't even remember the time. I just, I don't have 180 hours to put into games. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. Sorry, I have multiple jobs that I have to do. I can't sink <laughs> a thousand hours in. But um, and I didn't even, yeah, with that 180 hours, I didn't even get... I barely got to G rank in uh, the multiplayer, which is like the start of the actual difficult mode. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Monster Hunter has, has plenty to do for a long amount of time. I could master, I could take time mastering each different weapon, figuring out how to solo play with the ranged weapons or figuring out the, you know, whatever is the new hip thing or, you know, because I typically play Switch Axe and Charge Blade. But I can figure out, you know, get hammer or greatsword or whatever the heck. And I'm pretty sure Double Cross, if it's exactly like Generations, has the stances that you can do. Yep. So you can have a different fighting style yep. with each different weapon. So yeah, I, I would have I would have a lot of wiggle room to hone my skills in whichever one I would want at any point in time. And then of course I get to see all the cool stuff you can make from killing different monsters and get all like the neat gear for every facet of the game so 
Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't really have that much more to say on it. I mean, <laughs> I do feel like having unlimited time would make those, those, uh, gathering runs where you just go into a stage to like mine rocks and pick up yeah. plants and honey. That'd make that a little bit more peaceful as opposed to like, gosh, I just want to get to fighting monsters. I'd just be like, Oh, well, I have time. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is I think obviously anyone listening now will know, I think can guess what the next few games are going to be based around, very similar to what you've already chosen in terms mm-hmm. of this sort of time factor and games that mm-hmm. are replayable for extensively long periods. Are you someone personally who isn't influenced by nostalgia or doesn't really think about stuff like that? Like once you played a game, that's it. It was fun. Time to move on to the next thing. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's accurate. I, I have a lot of games that I'm very nostalgic for. Um, a lot of a lot of weird ones, too, because a heavily nostalgic part of my gaming life was when I bought my Xbox 360 because uh, my parents were very like, we don't want you playing M-rated games or we're not going to buy you M-rated games. And I was like, I will buy my Xbox 360 if you let me play Halo if I buy Halo. And they're like, fine, it's your money. So I bought my (laughs) Xbox 360 and I bought Armored Core and I bought uh, Ninja Gaiden 2 and I bought Halo, all the Halos that I could. And um, like Fable 2 is nostalgic for me, even though that game is kind of trashy. Like, (laughs) it's like, sorry, I I like it for weird reasons. It's just like a weird kind of shitty game that like does some things well and other things really, really bad. Like. I have a lot of the 360 library is nostalgic to me. Um, and there, there was of definitely course, an important GameCube. period for myself as well. Um, one thing that was special about the Xbox 360 just being the amount of games that were on that console, just an unholy yeah. amount of games. And because of mm-hmm. that, a lot of games were quite cheap. So you could just like pick up games that maybe were released like a year ago that you didn't get a chance to play. And um, being a poor university student at the time, it was. Uh, very very good (laughs) so you are someone that maybe does think about the nostalgia but when it comes to a situation like this you you feel it's probably better to think practical than it is with your heart a little bit even though these games obviously Um, still mean a lot to you well here's the thing like i will actually pop up in fable 2 and play it every now and then so like i would say that that could be a viable option for this list at the same time the reason I stopped playing Fable 2 is because you hit that level cap in every, in each of the three disciplines or whatever they're called. So, like, I never liked how that game, your character is always the same character at the end. He's the strongest, most magical, most good at shootingest character in the world. And it's like, why couldn't, like, I, I, w- I would rather feel limited so that I can have that idea of like, oh, I, this time I played through as just a gunslinger because I couldn't pour any points into strength or magic but it just let me pour points into strength and magic because it gives you infinite experience into the rest of eternity so you're wasting your experience points if you don't put them into those other stats i guess yeah and that kind of thing would turn me off to it as being on this list like it's a fun game but i definitely play it for a little bit and then i go like oh yeah i'm at stupid point again where i'm just broken and can do anything and then i stop playing Um. (laughs) well we have a lot of games on this list that offer that sort of replayability but Mm. one thing you have done is you've chosen sort of different genres 
and yeah. a lot of things that cover a lot of different bases. Like we've had platformers, we've had roguelike, we've had hunting now, and then we're going to move on to the next game now, which is kind of considering how Final Games is, and we've had a lot of Minecraft up mm-hmm. here on the show before, which I think is like no surprise to anyone when you think about just giving yourself a giant sandbox to play in for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Minecraft is one immediately. It would spring in a lot of people's minds. But the game that you've actually chosen next is a game that I don't think has appeared on the show very often, maybe only once or twice, if that. So, which is surprising considering how popular the game is mm-hmm. compared to Minecraft, which is just a phenomenon. Um, so I'm very intrigued to hear why you've chosen this game, maybe over Minecraft or other sort of very similar games. So let's listen to some music and let's dive straight into it. game that is coming up now on jimmy's list as we hinted at is a sort of action adventure sandbox game i don't i don't know whether action adventure would sort of pan into it a little bit you do Mm -hmm. fight things but would you say minecraft is an action adventure game i don't know uh there's actually i had a whole video scripted on this and then i realized everyone else has already done one so uh there's a very big distinct difference between these two Okay. And I would I would say that Minecraft is not an action adventure game. I not primarily at least. Um, it's very primarily sandbox. Uh, if you're playing the main mode, it's sandbox survival. Yes. And you, if you really dig deep, no pun intended, you get those like those breadcrumbs of adventure later. Or okay. if you're like the average person who doesn't have time to dig deep and figure out the systems of such an obtuse game like Minecraft. You look at the Wikipedia and you realize, oh, there's a cool thing I can do to go to the other realm and such. That's why I don't like Minecraft as much. Well, I like Minecraft quite a bit. Don't get me wrong. It's a great <laughs> game. But, but, but it's this, not this, this one. Yeah, this okay. one. So this game it, yeah. is uh, a game developed by a company called RE Logic. It released back in 2011. I can't believe it's been so long since this game initially released. And just yeah. like Minecraft, it's been ported to every platform imaginable. <laughs> it's on PC, it's on PlayStation 3, 360, Vita, iOS, PlayStation 4, Xbox One. It, the list is endless. It goes on. And it's also going to be released on the Nintendo Switch, just like Minecraft yeah. has been. And the Nintendo Switch is basically receiving every good game that has been released over the past <laughs> five or so years. I mean, it's getting Duck Game, so, like, there you go. That's all you need. There you go. Landon is bringing Duck Game to the (laughs) Switch, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, talking about this game. So I'm very intrigued to hear why, because when I look at this game, I, I only see those sandboxy elements. Mm. It, it is, of course, Terraria. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot more than that. Um, especially, so the story of, of Terraria uh, as a game being developed is that, uh, God, maybe 2013, I want to say, the uh, lead developer, Redigit, actually ceased development on it. And he said, I'm done with Terraria. I'm going to stop updating it. Like, I really enjoyed my time, but I want to move on to other projects. And then for, you know, whatever reason, I forgot what the actual happenings were, but he um, he sort of popped up out of the blue a year or two later saying he had been working on another update. And the game has been con- like pretty consistently updated since then. Maybe not this year, but uh, sizable chunks of content added, um, you know, different bosses and events and uh, basically just full layers of the game added onto it. And the thing I like about Terraria over Minecraft is that it's very easy to feel like you have a sense of what you want to do next. Whereas Minecraft is a lot of like, well, I got all my iron and I made my armor. Now what? And you kind of just look around and you're like, I guess I could build my, my square house into like a bigger a bigger square like <laughs> that's always where i get I'm, I'm like a, a little bigger yeah like i guess i can do farming and then like after point of farming you hit the you hit the point where you're like i have too much wheat i don't want to farm anymore like your farm will just stay there unfarmed forever because you're packed to the brim with wheat why do you need any more wheat with terraria i oh i've always felt like as soon as you get those base mechanics of like how you build houses and the, you can have like NPCs move in and they'll like sell you stuff or give you tips. Um, it was always very easy to be like, what can I do? Like, what should I do? This person has, oh, this person has a recipe for a gun or something, or this person has a, a thing that does this, but it requires this in order to buy it from them. And then I'm like, all right, well, I want to see what the hell that does. So then I run off to try and find what, how to get that or like, my probably my favorite feature in Terraria is the fact that they have a crafting list that comes up when you're near a crafting table and it just shows you this is what you can theoretically build with the materials you have or you know like you have iron here's some stuff that's made out of iron it makes it a lot easier than this archaic like I said before in Binding of Isaac uh it's Minecraft is a Wikipedia game for me I would never figure out a lot of the stuff if I hadn't already played Minecraft and known when they added it in patches, like, cause I've been playing Minecraft since alpha. Um, it's like you, like I would venture to say that nobody will figure out how to make the enchanting table in Minecraft unless somebody told them or they looked it up. It's one Do you of know those, how to make it. <laughs> I have, I have no idea. It's, it's, I think it's one of those where maybe Within the first year, there was enough content in the game that people could memorize it. But now, after just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of updates and additions, it's it's now its own ecosystem. It's now its own world where you couldn't possibly remember everything, even if you were, like, fanatical about Minecraft. 
and yeah, you were absolutely. you'd probably still have to look some stuff up sometimes. Well, I mean, like the like just the enchanting table is what I use as my example whenever I talk about this because it's like so in the three by three grid, the bottom row is obsidian, the middle row is diamond, obsidian, diamond, and the top row is just a book in the middle. But nothing <laughs> in the game indicates that that's even a thing you can make aside from an achievement that says enchanting built an enchanting table and like i guess you can kind of get a sense of what it looks like based on the icon of the table but it's a it's a stretch i think to say that anybody would get that exact pattern and figure it out even if they had a, a quite a long time to do that and terraria kind of takes out that amb- ambiguity and is like you have all these things in your inventory stand next to the right table here's what you can make with them and I kind of like that streamlining. Plus, I think the combat's great. I think for a, like, it's a weird kind of, I don't know, unruly platformer with some, like, silly physics in it. But I love the, like, spear weapons or the yo-yos or the, like, the magical boomerang that you can throw five of at once. Like, Terraria has a whole bunch of wacky weapons okay. that I've always I've always enjoyed getting, like, the sword that like takes up a quarter of the screen when you swing it and you're like, yes, yes. Like it's, it's way better than Minecraft combat. <laughs> so taking Terraria to a deserted island, from what I gather, sort of mm-hmm. discussing this with you now, Minecraft people build stuff and that kind of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. Terraria does seem a little more adventure focused. Like you go on an adventure so mm-hmm. this seems like less about building stuff over time and being creative and more about adventuring. There, There's a decent mix of building stuff in there because you have to build out your base in order to get NPCs to come live in it. Okay, um, okay. There are certain requirements of how you build a house. Uh, you have to have certain things inside the house. It has to be certain, uh, at, at minimum, a certain dimensions. And then people will show up and live with you. And those are the NPCs who sell you really important stuff. Some of them sell you stuff that you need to do certain events, uh, certain bosses in the game. And I just think that the frequency of those events, those bosses, the cool stuff that you can find in Terraria is a lot higher than Minecraft. Because Minecraft is a more creative game from a baseline standpoint. Um, But Terraria definitely has a really wide variety of materials you can use just for building and I've spent a good deal amount of time with my friends in our previous servers just, like, making my house out of, like, diamond stone blocks. Just, like, ran around the world looking for diamonds, and then you can craft <laughs> them together with stone to make this, like, shiny, like, white-blue block. I just made my house out of diamond blocks, and I was like, yeah, I, I accomplished something. I accomplished something today. This is my diamond house. No one could take it away from me. I'll protect it with yeah. my life. <laughs> and and Dre also does have stuff like wiring and like traps and automation that you can do to an extent. I don't know if it's as robust as Minecraft, but it does have it. Uh, yeah. For example, when we ended our Terraria server, we were winding down and we were not looking to play it much anymore. I wired our entire group's small cluster of houses uh, with vast amounts of TNT and then we sat there and asked our friend to log on. We put the switch right next to where he would spawn. 
So <laughs> stuff like that, I, I find very, uh, very fun. Those kind of moments yeah. that you'll always remember. Right. When the game lagged for a good 30 seconds and then it unlagged and there was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> very much one of those moments within video games that only video games can create that the creators didn't it's hard to articulate what i mean by this but stories that you tell yourself like the game doesn't tell you those stories like the stories that you create that the creators might have given you tools to be like hey this is what you can do but they don't write the story for you like a linear game or a game with scripted events it's one of those that i like this game because of something i did with my friends and I'll always remember it because of that. I think, I think the, the like buzzword term for that is emergent gameplay. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the way we sort of explain that kind of thing these days. Mm. Something that. But yeah, is, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, being able to sort of tell your own story, but not in a sense that different to how RPGs are when you are talking to different NPCs and it feels like you're writing your own story as you go along as a character, mm-hmm. but you're still heavily, subs- you're heavily in a su- scripted environment. Um, right. But this is like sat down with a few friends. We're going to close this down now, you know, sort of time to move yeah. on. Let's have one last hurrah into the night and <laughs> let's set it up. So when our friend spawns in, everything just explodes. Like you can't, no no game creator can sort of plan or try and force a player to do that. Right, it's something right. that naturally, progressively happens as you do it, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to have to create lots and lots of stories and lots and lots of moments that you'll remember on your deserted island while you're playing Terraria. Um, but we are going to move into the next game, which I feel like is the only other linear game on the list. Mm-hmm. Very different to Yoshi's Island. It's an RPG well, it's ta- it's a tactical strategy game, so yes. it it does offer the replayability. But you know the story and the way you go through the game is what we were just talking about in terms of scripting, and is set out by a creator for the player to experience it, which is different to the other games that you have chosen. So let's listen to some wonderful music, and let's dive straight into the second to last game on Jimmy's list. <laughs> So the next game on Jimmy's list and the second to last game before we send him away uh, is a a little bit of an odd choice, I feel, in terms of this franchise. Because the first game in this franchise, the PlayStation 1 game, is so highly regarded and revered. And anytime I ever talk to anyone about this series, the the game that you have chosen, they kind of 
scoff almost. Yeah, I know. It's fucking annoying. <laughs> let me I, like the thing. Just let me like the thing without being criticized, right? Um, yeah. And there, there are reasons as to why they they don't like this game and especially i think the introduction is something that stands out in the sort of setting mm -hmm. um but the game is developed by square product development division 4 which is obviously a part of square and um, which is now square enix it was also published by nintendo for the game boy advance it is the sequel to the very popular playstation game final facts final fantasy tactics it released back in 2003 it is, of course, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. So, Jimmy, yeah. tell me, tell me why then? Why are you? Were you a fan of the PlayStation game? I actually have never played it. Okay. Did not own a PS One. Okay. So, why are you taking Tactics Advance then? Well, not to not to th throw this in again. Truly believe it's one of the best games on the Game Boy Advance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I needed to put an RPG on this list and not a not a Western RPG or an action RPG. Um, and I didn't want to put Pokemon, despite how much I like Pokemon. I was um, going to say, a lot of your history is surrounded by Pokemon. There are, yeah. there are some surprises as the games I, I thought you might choose, but you didn't. I think I'm just less outspoken about how much I like a few of these, like Dust Force and, and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Uh, I don't talk about them nearly as much as I talk about other games. I guess they just um, really come up. Yeah, it's difficult yeah. to sort of shoehorn in something like Dust Force, unless right. it comes up one day and you're like, "Oh my god, yes, please, yeah, let me talk about this now." Like being yeah. on Final Games, right. <laughs> In general, I don't know, like I, I felt like I needed a kind of more serious story experience on here in some form. Um, I probably could have subbed out something else to have more than one, but uh, I don't know. It's really hard. It's hard to say. I just kind of thought of it and Tax Advance seemed like a no brainer to me, um, mostly, though, because I really, really enjoy uh, tactical RPG combat. I think Tactics Advance did it so well. I know okay. people really like Fire Emblem and people really like Advanced Wars, and I just yes. those aren't nearly as uh, complex as I enjoy. I, I really do like Fire Emblem, but not that much. Like I can I can only handle so much before I'm like uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. So like for Fire Emblem. The tactics is, do I move this character to this space and attack this guy, or do I move this character to this space and attack this guy? They're two spaces away, but one could have drastically different con consequences if this computer player decides to rush left on the map yeah. or rush right. And it's more of a, it's more of a like war strategy game where you're kind of commanding your your troops how you would command a troop of knights or whatever. Tactics Advance is more on character-to-character -character strategy where, like, the, those kind of other tactics still play into it, but it's a lot of, like, all right, should I equip this guy with this, like, kind of shitty sword that will give him an amazing move, but it takes a long time to learn, so I'm going to have to grind a few battles out with it, 
and he's going to be kind of useless for that time because his attack's going to go down so much? Or do I just stick him stick with his good weapons and we'll just try and go through this boss best we can? Like, yeah. Okay. I I really like the class system in Tactics Advanced. It has a lot of interesting stuff. Like the Moogle can have a gunslinger and it has like incredible range or the the red mage can do summons and do like basically mass area of effect damage. Like I know that most final fantasies have these things, but uh, the world of, of Ivalis and the, the races and the characters in tactics advance. I really just like just connected with me in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know. It's it's hard to, expand on it without going super deep into it but i really love this like crazy world that they built out with the totema like guardian gods and the all this like stuff that it was made from the you know this book that kind of they're in this like dream world yeah. and that i don't know i know people say that the regular tactic story is way better but as being a kid when i played it um that sort of idea of a video game that was about escapism yeah and whether or not it would be the moral choice to allow yourself to be consumed by escapism or to turn back i thought i don't know that really resonated resonated with me i guess i so, think so i think for some people i think the problem was that tactics the first game is renownedly known for having a a story that almost transcends the sort of the game itself, it's it's mm-hmm. oft often I don't know whether I would describe it like that, but it's often compared to a sort of Game of Thrones in its uh-huh. complexity. And I think some people saw it as a mm, like a marker for how good game story can be within a video game, especially around that PlayStation era when we saw you know stuff like Final Fantasy VII and you know bigger games coming out with bigger stories and then i think a lot of people were sort of maybe a little disappointed that when they took it to final fantasy tactics advance in terms of it being a gba game maybe they also the scope mm. in terms of telling the story was also a little disappointing to some people it was a little smaller maybe not so serious even though it is pretty serious and still has consequences and stuff that happens within yeah. the game you know, it's a continuation of Matsuno-san's evilly stuff. So he is obviously going to still be wanting to flesh out that whole setting. Mm. Are you a fan yeah. of like the evilly stuff outside of Final Fantasy Tactics Advance as well? Um, yes and no. I I really like the world. I really like the like I said the race, like the races and just the general like the vibe it's very my kind of high fantasy which it has some tech like it, i know this is again this is across a lot of final fantasies but uh Ivalis is sort of like it has a lot of tech it has a lot of high fantasy a lot of people know how to use magic like it's a very commonplace thing to be a mage like yeah it's yeah. not that sort of trope where it's like oh that heathen witch like everyone it's magic is like a regular part of everyday life and i really like that in high fantasy setting um, and also just in general, I think that Tactics Advance did the art style of Ivalis probably better than any of the games that came after it, at least. I know one of the numbered Final Fantasies is in it, right? 11, I think? 12. Final Fantasy 12 all 12. takes place in Ivalis. Right. And it's hit and miss for me. Some of the images, like they did the Vera, all right, but like, you know, 
hand it to modern game developers to get modeling sexy women correctly right um but they did the bonga like not as good they look kind of ugly and i'm like the lizard guys are my favorite race like (laughs) why did you make them look kind of shitty (laughs) how about like vagrant story and this because i think i feel like vagrant story had more art style similarity with the tactic series than 12 did Mm-hmm. I, I'm not actually familiar with Vagrant Story. Okay, that's fair enough. It's funny because I really like the aesthetic of Ivalice, and in my head, every time I picture it, I picture sort of white and brown and these beautiful characters who mm-hmm. are of that sort of high fantasy variety. They're always kind mm-hmm. of like nobles or something to me when I picture it. Um but going forward, we are receiving, you know, a remaster of Final Fantasy XII, and Ivalice is, is coming into the spotlight again. But we mm-hmm. haven't really seen much of Tactics, even though it is a very beloved series. And with games like Fire Emblem becoming more and more popular, like Fire Emblem has exploded in popularity. Yeah, recently, absolutely. That sort of gameplay, I think, I feel is, like, hot right now. Like, people want that kind of XCOM... Fire Emblem, mm. cross tactics game. Do you feel like maybe we'll see tactics again? Um, realistically, I'd say no because uh, the 3DS isn't on its way out, but the 3DS is kind of on its way out, you know. But don't you feel uh, like the Switch is going to be like a perfect console for a game like this? Because that's how I feel. I mean, I yes, I do. I don't think that they're going to make it. Uh, we'll see because I know they have that like totally not hiding itself we're not advanced wars but we're totally advanced wars game coming to switch uh, uh war something war song is it war song right yeah something like that but i i think we'll have to see how that does first that might drum up interest i don't know if i think square enix will pay any any attention to that though um and even then, I don't know if I'd trust them to release the game anytime within the next three decades. So, <laughs> what was it they said the other day? Um, they released a press release about Final Fantasy VII remake and uh, and Kingdom Hearts Kingdom three. Hearts. And they were like, if for within the next three years, yeah, <laughs> they will release in the next three years. And the thing is, like, to be fair to them, we might laugh now, but whoever thought Final Fantasy fifteen would get released, and it eventually did. So that's true. That's true. I, I mean, they can say, oh, it's going to take three years, and we can be like, well, it's never coming out. But, you know, they did say it about Final Fantasy XV, and it did come out, and it was not as much of a shit wreck as everyone thought it would be. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll I... see. It's Square Enix. They have a history of bad decisions and long production time. So, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see. Well, you can take Tactics Advance with you in the meantime, and then maybe in the future, if we do see a brand new Tactics game, we'll, we'll send it your way, because it is a rarity. But <laughs> we're going to move on now, Jimmy, unfortunately, to your last game. And we have to do two sad things after that, which is stop talking, because I've enjoyed talking to you about video games a lot, and then ship you on your way to a big tree in Azeroth for you right. to chill, which I feel like is not too bad. I've always wanted my own treehouse. It's something I never right. got when I was younger. You know what I didn't even realize is... I didn't pick Teljaseel until you said I didn't have to pick an island and it could just be a general, like, area. Yeah. And then I realized in my stupidity that 
Teldrassil is absolutely an island. <laughs> and one needs to take a boat to get off of there to start they, the rest of World of Warcraft as a night elf. They do. It's very big, though. So it, you could yeah. you could be almost mistaken for it being a landmass that is bigger yeah. than an island. But f- perfect. It fits in with the deserted island theme, then. And we're going right. to have to get you on a boat to send you over there. And then you can chill in your big tree. Sounds good. the next game you're going to be taking is kind of like off kilter to everything else we've been playing, which has been fantasy, Mm. um, very much gamey aesthetics and Mm gamey in the way they play. Um, So why don't we jump into the last game, which is a a lovely little game to end on. Now let's listen to some very fun little music and let's talk about Jimmy's final game. So here we are. We have now arrived at the final game on Jimmy's list, and we get yeah. ready to put him on the boat and send him away, which is very sad because it also means we have to stop talking about all these wonderful <laughs> games and the excellent conversations we've had so far. And the last game you're going to be taking with you, um, once again, it does fit into the aspect of a game you can play forever. It has mm. endless replayability. It's it, it's about achieving a goal, but that's not really what it's about. It's about build, building cool fucking roller coasters and <laughs> making loads of money off people and doing oh, yeah. stupid shit. It's a construction and management simulation game that was originally developed and published by Chris Sawyer Productions. Chris being mm-hmm. in complete control of this series. It was published originally by Microprose, actually, which is a blast mm-hmm. from the past. Released back on PC in 1999. Um, we're not sure which version you're going to be taking. You said classic or maybe like the um, the mobile version was pretty good. Yeah, so this is, well, I mean. Well, it's Roller Coaster Tycoon. Uh, I'll throw right. the title out there. <laughs> it's, of course, Roller Coaster Tycoon. So building your own sort of theme parks. AKA one of the greatest games on the PC of all time. Um, <laughs> so we've had the best Super Nintendo, the best GBA, and now we're getting one of the best PC games. Uh, the best platformer. And oh, the, the best, best platformer as PC well. Game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I only bring the best with me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, so why why is Roller Coaster Tycoon not only going with you, but why is it also one of the best PC games? So okay, for clarification, it would be very hard for me to pick between Roller Coaster Tycoon 1 or 2. And so conveniently, last year, uh Chris Sawyer came out of the woodwork and was working with uh, whoever has them now, Atari, I think, um, whoever has the IP now, 
and they ported one and two together into one game with a bunch of improvements to the the game design and made a mobile game and it's probably the best mobile game ever created too hey uh so yeah that's probably the version i would pick just because it has a billion things and has the best of both worlds of one and two but rollercoaster tycoon is a hard mixture of nostalgia and just in general i think it's a really good game um even outside of that i i have the original and number two on steam and i go back and play them quite often yeah uh but yeah, I mean, there it's there's something there's something special about Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's like isometric graphics are fantastic. They're like that that is a big nostalgia factor, but they are pretty timeless. They still look good. Like it it looks like a game that was made forever ago, but it still looks good. Um, there is like a million maps, and especially with one and two combined together. Uh, there's like an also a million ways to build roller coasters and there's a lot of unique and weird stuff you can do yeah um and man it really like it doesn't get much more complicated than that it's just a very comfortable game uh a great game for relaxing a great game for challenging yourself because there's difficult maps or self-imposed challenges i know are super interesting Uh, i don't know if you've ever seen uh any of the pictures online of people doing the like smallest map challenge where it's like a 13 by 13 grid and they try and make the highest park value map within that grid. Okay. So like sort of constructing limitations and then trying to get the most out of it, like a real yeah. theme park. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. It has a lot of possibility. Um, of course with, with roller coaster tycoon two came the map editor and scenario editor. So yeah, there's. If I was to pick between just one or two on the PC, I'd probably pick two because okay. it has a lot more features. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I think the classic mobile version is sufficient. I don't think it takes anything out from either game, and it does have the map editor, which is pretty crazy for the mobile game. It's but. kind of a small screen though for such a game that has a lot of complex, tiny particles and pixels going off. At yeah, one time. I mean. I mean, I'd probably need like a really slick iPad or like some sort of tablet with a with a pen. My phone has a pen uh, in it, so like, okay, works for me. But um, yeah, I think I might miss being able to play it on a big screen on the PC. So it's really a toss up. I'm I'm okay with whatever I am given, like, essentially. But, <laughs> um, well, yeah, we'll we'll, like, we'll figure the details out later. But <laughs> in terms of talking about roller coaster tycoon then this is sort of another one that when we harked back to emergent gameplay and telling your own story and having oh, yeah. these moments that you write yourself almost uh is it do you can you recall any times or any incredible things that have happened when you've been playing roller to- to- roller coaster tycoon have uh, you set I'm out sh- with a goal and tried to achieve like crazy stuff i'm not sure about incredible uh definitely a lot of very funny and unique moments um i used to stream roller coaster tycoon one a little bit and um one thing i was doing was naming uh rides or um naming rides after chat suggestions or naming people (laughs) in the park 
after a person in chat and then turning on, you can turn on the little icon that makes uh, the notification bar at the bottom will show you notifications when that that person in the park does anything. And so I did one for my buddy Dev and um, I was actually not playing that level on stream at the time. I was just playing offline and it was for some reason it kept notifying me that uh, so I had like a 3D cinema ride and I named it uh, was what was it? Uh, the guy who made Titanic, James Cameron. I named it James Cameron's Avatar because uh, <laughs> that you know that's a funny name for a cinema. Like the movie's all right. <laughs> um, and so my park person that was named Dev rode or watched rather James Cameron's Avatar six times in a row without stopping. So he like got in line got into the ride, exited the ride, and got back in line. And so I just kept updating my buddy Dev, and I was like, hey, you're watching Avatar again, by the way. And it was just fantastic. I was playing the rest of the game, but it just kept letting me know. And like small stuff like that, it's really charming. It's an incredibly charming game. I think that's probably the best word to describe the series. It is one of those, it's just sort of fun and it, it's a theme park isn't it so the aesthetic is yeah. just fun right and you have all the little music and all the jingles of each ride going off in the background and mm-hmm. the sort of laughter of the npcs and stuff it is just something that is like you said just charming right and mm. when you're going to sort of be alone on a deserted island this as the final game you're taking a lot of the other games are sort of dark even like mm-hmm. with Ivalice and Final Fantasy Tactics, it can be pretty dark and you have like Bad Isaac. This is kind of the lighter experience, I think, alongside Yoshi's Island to brighten up the whole list as a overall. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I don't know. In general, it's a it's a cozy game. It's a good, uh, good way to round out an evening. Um, I often find myself just popping it open for a little bit at a time. I have this unreasonable goal that someday I want to complete Roller Coaster Tycoon 1, um, which, mind you, is like 75 different scenarios or something, and there's no fast-forward button in the PC version. <laughs> that They only added that for the mobile port. So okay. most of those maps take three to four hours just to wait <laughs> out your, your win condition. Um, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess if I had the mobile version with the fast forward button, it would be as big of a deal. But it's a, it's a real life goal is one day I want to have a file on Roller Coaster Tycoon where every uh, every park is completed by Sunder with a park value of whatever, you know. Well, we are going to send you away now <laughs> to the desert island. So you're going to have the time to do that as well as do all these other things like get really good at Dust Force and get up those leaderboards, you know, have like perfect runs on Binding of Isaac, have mm. incredible adventures in Terraria. See, there are so many of the... I feel like this is the ultimate emergent gameplay list. I'm glad you sort of brought up <laughs> that term because this is exactly what your list is going to be, which is really good. And I, and I, I get the sense talking to you, you like these games that have that complexity that you need to think outside of the game, like whether it's going to like a wiki or going online and researching and getting deep into the lore and all that kind of stuff. So I, 
I feel like I'm going to have to give you like paper and pens and <laughs> stuff to help you write down all of your experiments and all of the stuff that's going on like a mad scientist about all these video games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the reason that I started talking about games on YouTube is because I think that games as a medium are extremely powerful yeah. for a pretty obvious reason, which is the fact that they're interactive and uh, stuff, especially like emergent gameplay or um, any sort of thing where it allows the player to take whatever path they wish to get to the same goal as other players. Uh, that really lays hard into why I find games so fascinating and so engaging. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's no surprise that a lot of my list pretty much shows. Uh, I mean, Rollercoaster Tycoon, Terraria, Monster Hunter, Binding of Isaac, and Dust Force and Kirby. I pretty much only one game on this list doesn't really fall under that. No, you know, even Tax Advance, you can make a party of of all white mages if you want to. <laughs> And I wouldn't recommend it, but you I could. I wouldn't recommend it at all, but you you could. The ability Everything's to got an element to it. Yeah. And now, unfortunately, Jimmy, you have the time. Mm. Because I'm going to have to put you on the boat and send you away. Is that is that is that okay? I mean, that's fine. Do I get to play anything on the boat? or? Mm, we'll, we'll give you tactics advance. We'll give you the GK. Okay. Great. You, you can have that to play. Or we can give you the Switch port of Monster Hunter as well. Oh, uh, yeah. I gotta Anything get that's possible, essentially. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, true. that's pretty grand, right? But there is another question I have to ask you that I have not told you about. Oh, no. I know. And this one is maybe the, the most difficult of all. And that is before we send every guest away uh, on Final Games, we have to ask them the last question, which, as always, we talk about games on Final Games. It's in the mm. title. So the one thing that is important, I think, about video games personally is the way we play them, mm-hmm. whether it be on the PC, on a handheld, on a console, sat on the couch, even on the Nintendo Switch, which has completely changed my idea of how we sort of play video games and how we consume mm-hmm. them. So I feel like the way we play is important. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, in this set, I cannot allow you to have a PC as the answer to this question. Because okay. you can emulate anything on a PC these days. Right, so it's right. a box that has everything. So the question is, if you could take any console with you, bearing in mind the way you play the console, the back catalog, and all that sort of stuff, if you can only take one console with you, what would you take? So this is like an alternate universe version of the island where I only get one console in its entire library? Well, you would also get the eight games that you've chosen... But oh. those eight, but those eight games for those consoles, you can only use that for what that one game that you've chosen. So, right, for right, example, I the see. Game Boy Advance, you can only use it to play Tactics and Advance. Hmm. Interesting. Um. And when, in the grand scheme of things, when you really think about it, one console, depending on the back catalog you chose, if you choose the Wii U, for example, that's not a that's not a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Great games, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I feel like, I feel like, choosing between the three hundred and sixty, the GameCube, or the PS two is really what it narrows down to from a knee jerk. Um, from a quantity over quality aspect, maybe. Even though they have great games on them, but you would be missing out on other experiences elsewhere. Of course. Yeah, it's. 
This question is only tough because modern consoles are shit with backwards compatibility. So, <laughs> um, I feel like if I had to take one console, as much as I will say that the GameCube is probably my favorite console, uh, I think the 360 would just have the last ability. I mean, I have all the Halos, which is like great. Yeah. Um, I'd have Darksiders. I'd have Red Faction Guerrilla. That is a great game. That is destroy all of the things. Yeah. I I'd have Oblivion and Fallout Three and Fallout Four. No, no, no I New Vegas and Skyrim. Yes. <laughs> that would last you. That's for sure. Right. Not that I think any of those games are like top of the line, but. But no, as an overall package, like if yeah. you're looking at a box, you'd be like, huh, this is this, 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 this. Eh, not the best, but man, I could have some fun with these. There are, there are some real good ones on the 360. It might not have some of the best games of all time. I will say the that the first three Halos are some of the best shooter games I've ever played. Uh, so I think that'll be fine and plenty. But yeah, I got to go with the 360, I guess. Excellent. Well, you can take the 360 with you alongside the eight games. And I think it's about time now that we send you on your way. And it's quite sad because I have really enjoyed today. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you had fun. I do apologize about the whole banishing forever kind of thing. Oh, no. It's fine. I'll, it's I'll cool. be good. Still friends? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I cool. know I'll never see you again, so like, it really doesn't matter, but... Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jimmy, please, before you go, then, tell the wonderful people who have listened through this episode where they can find you on the internet, what they should be checking out of your work, and anything else that you'd like to mention. Um, well, first and foremost, probably the best way to find me for anything that I do is my Twitter, which is at SunderCR. Um, it's S-U-N-D-E-R-C-R. Uh, pretty much anything that I do, I'll tweet out there. Uh, but if you want to avoid all my shit posting and dumb memes that I eventually <laughs> occasionally put up there, uh, you can just head to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash sundergamer. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm constantly working on on new stuff. I really want to like get going on making D&D content. I really like Dungeons and Dragons. I oh, got okay. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, that sounds I kind of kind of missed it in my youth, and uh, my friends got me into it uh, last year, and so I'm really deep in that right now. But also more level head stuff, more game analysis. Um, yeah, and uh, that's pretty much it. Those are the two primary places. Excellent. Well, go check those things out, especially go check out Level Head if you're interested in game analysis and game design. It's an excellent series that Jimmy does that I personally really enjoy. So please do go check that out. And thank you so much, Jimmy, for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank yeah, you so much to you who's listened to this episode as well. As always, you can find Final Games on SoundCloud, also iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps out. You can also listen to it on pretty much every other po podcasting available thing like Stitcher and Acast and all those wonderful things. Um, you can also find Final Games on Twitter too, at Final Games Show. And you can find me, who shitposts just like Jimmy too, a lot, <laughs> mostly about games in Japan, 
at Liam BME, just my name and then BME. And other than that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And thank you, Jimmy, for coming on the show. Absolutely. As I said, such a great pleasure having you on. (laughs) And I'll see you again next time. So for now, goodbye. Goodbye.